0: Good evening, family and friends, and it's good to see you here in the house of the Lord and we can worship together. Uh, Now allow me to uh, read to you from scripture, all right, Uh, and the scripture passage today is taken from Matthew chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 17, Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, Abiud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Akim, Akim the father of Eliud, Eliud the father of Eliezer, Eliezer the father of Mathan, Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Thus there were fourteen generations all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Abba Father, we wait before you even now. Open our eyes and our ears that we may behold and hear precious truths out of your word this evening. We pray this in the precious name of your dear Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So, I heard a bit of a few chuckles, but how many of you blanked out during the opening rendition of the Gospel of Matthew? And how many of you actually wish I blanked out when I was reading that rendition? Are you wondering why the New Testament actually opens with a genealogy? Okay, time for confession. How many of you, and this is for Christians, okay? How many of you, when you come to a section like this, either you skim it or you skip it altogether? Yeah, some laughs, right? Guilty, right? Okay, I saw someone actually put up the hand. All right? But maybe some of you read through it carefully to find good ideas for baby names. <laughs> oh, that had more laughs, okay? Okay. Baby names, maybe like uh, Minadab or Shiltiel or Zerubabel. you know, I think maybe your kids uh, will be upset with you forever if you name them that. Okay, don't suggest I, I'm telling you to do it, okay? But I get the distinct feeling that actually many of you attempted to give these 17 verses a miss and go right to verse 18, which talks about the birth of Jesus Christ. I want to suggest today, this being Christ the King's day, the Sunday that actually falls before the first Sunday of Advent. And Advent means coming, the coming of Christ the King. And by implication, because if a king is coming, uh, there is a new kingdom that he will once and for all usher in. So as I just mentioned, it would be a mistake to skip the first 17 verses. This genealogy is where you and I are introduced to the king who is calling us towards living in the new kingdom. But now, let's take a look at the chart up on the screen. And you will see the word genealogy appear. Now, genealogies are official records, uh, legal documents, so to speak, that establish identity. Genealogies are very important to the Jewish people, especially because they are waiting for a descendant of David to be king. One simply cannot claim to be king without the pedigree to prove it. He had to have royal blood. So Matthew begins with a genealogy because he wants to make a case for Jesus as the promised king of the Jews you might have noticed in the Bible that there is another genealogy. And here you can see it in the next slide. And this other genealogy is written actually by Luke. And you can find that in Luke chapter 3, verses 23 right through 28. Now, unlike Luke's genealogy, which listed backwards from Jesus to Adam, Matthew's genealogy actually listed forwards from Adam to Jesus. Luke writes... To prove Jesus' humanity, Matthew writes to prove Jesus' royalty. In this process, and you'll see in the next slide, Matthew even chooses to include names that don't suit this greater purpose of enhancing Jesus' royalty. Now we'll talk about later, but um, for now, you might want actually to take a snapshot of this slide, right? Uh, We'll use it a bit further down in the sermon. Matthew actually divides the genealogy into three divisions, and you can see it up there, three divisions of 14 generations. From our perspective, there is nothing significant about the number 14. But for the Jew, it seems Hebrew letters had numeric values. A letter, the letter of David's name, scholars suggest, had the numeric equivalence of 4, 4, 6, or a total value of 14. Unlike Luke, Matthew had a more purposeful way of dividing the genealogy into meaningful divisions. The first, as you can see up in the slide, is a dark 1,000-year period from Abraham to David that began in darkness and ended in light. The second is the 400 years from Solomon to Babylon, which began with light and ended in exiled darkness. The last is the 600 years from the return to the birth of Jesus, going once again from darkness to light. As we come to the next slide, we see Matthew with great intention designed this genealogy to remind us of God's original perfect plan for the world. We are going to see this is the new genesis that reveals to us the scandalous design of the plan that gives us hope for the new life this plan is promising. So here now are three important things we can learn through the genealogy of Jesus. And the first is this. It is a designed genealogy. We are told in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. There are several important phrases to follow. The first important phrase is a record of the genealogy. The word for genealogy is the same word for Genesis. It remains and reminds us of birth. Or beginning. So it is fair to actually translate this first phrase, a record of the new Genesis. This gives us insight into Matthew's mind, who sees the birth of Jesus as the climax of all of history. It is the beginning of the recreation of all God wanted for this world that was lost when the first creation. Fell when Adam and Eve fell. The second important phrase we need to note is Jesus Christ. The name Jesus is the Greek translation of the personal Hebrew name Joshua, meaning God saves. Do you know anyone called Joshua? <laughs> uh, if you do, uh, you might want to go up to them and say, "You know your name means God saves. Hi, God saves." Then you have Christ, and literally this means Messiah or anointed one. Anointed, to be anointed is to be set apart and empowered by God for tasks that God appoints. Then we see Jesus Christ as the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now these are two big names in history, two covenants with two big promises. God's promise to David was that he would have a son who would be king forever. It was a promise for the nation of Israel. God was in fact saying, Israel, here is your Messiah. Then there is the promise to Abraham. It was that he would have a son who would bless the nations of the world. Son of Abraham, God is saying Nations, here is your hope. So, this design genealogy taken together, the first line could easily be translated, a record of the new genesis of Jesus Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. Or, could be said differently, a record of the new beginning of God saving the nations through Jesus, the anointed king, who will bless all the families of the earth. The second thing we can learn from this genealogy of Jesus is this. It is a broken genealogy. What I love about the Bible is that it is so honest. And here, the slide that you took a snapshot of, you might want to take that out and look at it. The Bible is so honest. Matthew gives us a dirty genealogy. If we were going to write out our own family tree, especially when we know it's for public reading, it is likely there maybe are a few branches that we would cut off, like all those black sheep in our family line. The ones who spoil the family's name, uh, brings uh, embarrassment to the family. You know the bad apples. We would leave those names out. So if Matthew wanted to protect the dignity of Jesus, the promised king, he should have designed maybe this genealogy completely differently. Yet it is full of broken people. This is because Matthew had another purpose beyond simply revealing Jesus as king. When compared to Luke's genealogy, there are a number of names that are excluded. If you just go and look at Luke's genealogy, you'll see a lot of names actually missing. Many kings are ignored. This kind of deletion isn't completely unusual. Typically, the purpose of a genealogy is to establish proof of one's ancestry, not provide a complete family history. The most shocking part of the genealogy is not who he excludes, but actually who he includes in the ancestral line of Jesus. He includes, and for those of you who know your Old Testament, he includes a serial polygamist, he includes liars, thieves, a prideful warrior turned leper, he includes several adulterers, murderers, a man who sold his own brother into slavery, he includes a cursed king and many idolaters. Jesus' royal lineage isn't as clean as some of us might think or hope. And maybe some of you are sitting there and you think your family line is a mess. Matthew presents Jesus' royal family line almost like a criminal lineup. And then there were the women he put in. Matthew wanted his genealogy to do more than just prove Jesus was legally king, Matthew wanted it to preach just what kind of king Jesus really is. A king who rules with grace. He does this by the four women he includes, five without Mary. That women are mentioned at all is noteworthy. Usually genealogies line up through the father. If names of women are mentioned, it meant that the purity of the line was preserved or the dignity enhanced. Actually, Matthew could have named Sarah or Rebecca or Rachel or any other wives of these men who were more dignified. Instead, he mentions these four women, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, the wife of Uriah, we know her as Bathsheba. Now for Tamar, a young widow who played the harlot in order to trick her father-in-law Judah into keeping his promise, you can find that in Genesis chapter 38. Forget watching the soap operas and the desperate housewife reruns. Just give Genesis 38 a good read. Then we have Rahab. She's a prostitute who worked in the city of Jericho. We have Ruth who was a widow. And who is morally probably the least questionable of the four. But, you see, she is a Moabite. She is a descendant of the incestuous lot. And you can find that in Genesis chapter 19. And, of course, we have Bathsheba, who Matthew cannot even name directly. She was the widow of Uriah, whom David, King David, had killed to cover up his adultery with Uriah's wife and in order to marry her. And so when he married her, she committed adultery too. All four women are non-Jews. All four were stained with sin. Surely Matthew could do better than this by selecting cleaner women? But then, who would we be talking about? You see, some 500 years ago, Martin Luther preached a sermon and he said, Christ is the kind of person who is not ashamed of sinners. In fact, he even puts them in his family line. And here Matthew reminds us that God came to save sinners. God came to take what is broken and through them to magnify his grace, his mercy, and his love. A broken genealogy. The third thing we can learn from this genealogy of Jesus is it is a hope-filled genealogy. So what does some 2,000-year-old genealogy that represents over 4,000 years of history have to do with us in 2019 through 2020 and even beyond? Everything. Because you see, we are not only putting our faith in the true identity of Christ we are putting our faith in our new identity in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 tells us, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. When we place our trust in Christ as our Saviour and Lord, we receive a new identity. And we see in the next slide, this new identity, we are redeemed. The first thing we can learn about this is you have a redeemable family history. Your family history, in other words, can be redeemed. Jesus' genealogy teaches us that the brokenness of our own family history cannot and does not disrupt God's plan. God has a plan. And rather, it is through all of this He magnifies it. The sin we have committed or those committed against us does not surprise God. He may not desire it, but he has permitted it. He has allowed it, his permissive will. He works through it to accomplish his kingdom purposes. All of this serves to make the sermon of our lives that much more glorious. Our brokenness, our weaknesses preach the gospel much better. And God redeems our family histories to his glory. Some of you might know a bit about my family history. You may have heard that I come from a family, the maternal side, where my grandfather was a missionary pastor. My grandfather, Lu Zhongxing, Translated means faithful Luke. Together with Watchman Ni were co-workers in China before the communists took over. And how Ni Tuoshan, who is Watchman Ni, sent his various co-workers away from China. My grandfather and his family were sent to Singapore via Hong Kong just before the communists came to power. What you might not know is that my grandfather's wife, her name was Eunice. Eunice's mother, that means my great-grandmother, also accompanied the family to Singapore. And she had a husband who was an opium addict. He would be my great-grandfather, an opium addict. But he died young. He died young because of the addiction to opium and related complications. What a wasted life. History might have been very different for me had it not been for God who intervened in the early days back in China where English missionaries took in my widowed great-grandmother and her young daughter, my grandmother, took them in and looked after them, shared the gospel with them, and they came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. History might also have been very different had the Lord forgotten about my grandfather, who was orphaned at an early age, but who together with Watchman Nee were found by a missionary, Miss Margaret Barber. They also came to faith and were mentored by the dear lady. They were taught the word of God and would eventually, in their turn, minister the word of God. So I want to say today that God redeems our family history and our individual family Members. Right from the start, God chooses the most unlikely people with their unlikely broken stories. Broken and unlikely people, people like my great grandmother, my grandfather, my grandmother, redeeming, in this case, our family line, so that they came to live in the new kingdom. The second thing that uh, we can learn from this hope-filled genealogy is that you have your spiritual history. You have a redeemable spiritual past. In other words, your past can be redeemed. It is natural for us to look back at our worldly influences and we see how we have been affected positively or negatively. But consider all of the spiritual influences you have had, whether good and bad parents, good and bad pastors, good and bad teachers, good and bad leaders, or good and bad significant others that have impacted your life. And don't be quick to dismiss them or the time you had with them as meaningless. It is part of your God-designed spiritual genealogy remember that Jesus himself was not a fifth-generation pastor. Jesus' line was full of sinful men and women, and yet God used them all to bring his plan to completion. Sometimes we look back and we find shame or despair. God does not want your past to define you. So when you do look back, as at times you will need to remember also not just to look back but to look way backward to the cross where you can receive a new birth, a new genesis. You will always struggle to define yourself by your past until you see your personal faith in Jesus Christ as the end of one genealogy and the beginning of another. Yours. But now here's the story of Raymond. And Raymond's life of crime began when he was 10 years old. He stole $400 from his grandmother. He was found out, he was severely punished by his grandfather, but that didn't deter the child. When he was 12 years old, he was caught for stealing at NTUC and also at Takashimaya. He was also a teenage mastermind who instigated his young friends to steal everything from packets of nasi lemak to shaking out vending machine coins to breaking into bus yards and stealing money, CD players and LCD TVs from the bus. At 16, he was hanging out in the back streets of Kelang, where he and his friends conducted illegal gambling activities and were selling fake cough mixture to addicts. During national service, he actually got caught in credit card fraud and was jailed. One, ju- one judge said to him, and by that time, he had been in boys' home and prison five times. And the judge said to him, save your crocodile tears. You are not just an offender. You have a criminal mind. Despite this, his life of crime continued after his release from prison. He fraudulently got a bank loan, acquired six cars, and started a car rental business. His fleet grew to over 30 cars, and he became a millionaire at the age of 24. He also got his girlfriend pregnant. Some of you are chuckling, isn't it? What a life, right? What a guy. He was not thinking of marriage, but when he heard she was pregnant, he decided to marry her. Together, they lived a the high life, driving posh cars, living in condominium, as Raymond's business actually was doing well. But Raymond became a gambler, and eventually he squandered all his money at the casino. He was trapped in a gambling addiction. He hit rock bottom, The day he went to buy milk powder, he looked into his wallet and he says, I didn't even have enough money to buy milk powder for my baby. That was rock bottom. But he knew he needed to pick himself up for the sake of his now two children. He decided to start a crab wonton noodle stall. It was located in Macpherson. Maybe some of you actually tasted it. Y'all laughing again. Anyways, he emailed uh, well-known food bloggers, but none replied except one. A well-known doctor who, uh, unknown to Raymond, Dr. Leslie, who was a Christian, received his email and felt a strong prompting to help this particular hawker. Dr. Leslie and his wife appeared one day unannounced at Raymond's stall and gave Raymond a few pointers. Along the way, Dr. Leslie invited Raymond to church. Raymond recalls thinking, now if I don't go to church, he might not help me. (laughs) So I went to church, but for the wrong reasons. It happened though it was Easter time, and during the service, the hymns that were being sung, he said, tears kept flowing, and I kept cleaning them away. I asked the doctor, what's happening? And he said, you are touched by the Lord. So when the altar call came, he says, I went up and said the sinner's prayer. But back at his hawker stall the next day, and at the end of the day, it was his habit to light a cigarette in the back alley. But he remembered the previous day experience in church, and so he prayed this prayer. God, if you are real, help me stop smoking. But please don't take so so long. Otherwise, I will think it is my own willpower and not you. The next morning, he lit up a cigarette, as was his custom, and guess what? He gagged. The cigarettes he tried and tried subsequently all tasted bad. Raymond shared this, I had been smoking since I was 12 years old and had tried to quit many times, but the smoke had been too alluring to me. Yet now I was gagging. That, he says, was when I knew for sure that God is real. Today, Raymond runs a vehicle recovery business. He volunteers at the boys' home, where once he was a resident delinquent, he is now their mentor. The boys see his tattoos and know immediately this man has walked in our shoes. Where once he was hot-tempered and vulgar, blinded by greed, a liar, a thief, a cheater, hurting the ones who cared the most deeply for him, he is now in a discipleship group and recognizes how God showed me his love, his mercy, his grace. God is real, he says. If you think you are not good enough to have a relationship with God, look at me. And by the way, you can find his story in salt and light. For Raymond Tan, the new Genesis, Jesus Christ reached out to him one day and invited him to live in the new kingdom with a new beginning so that Raymond had a new identity in Christ and would fulfill his new destiny. And as we come to the last slide for today, for all of us who are longing to start again who are longing for a fresh start and are longing for everything in this world to be put right, I want to remind us that it is the birth of Jesus which makes this possible. I don't know what has happened to you in your past, but you can join God's grand story. I pray that you have seen and will continue to see All of God's promises reach their fulfillment for you in Christ Jesus. You can be included in history, his story. You can see that on the chart. You can be included in his New Genesis story. You can be included in his New Genesis, New kingdom story. No matter how unlikely a person you may be or think you may be, how broken, how sinful, your family history can be redeemed. Your past can be redeemed. And you can, as the hymn suggests, as that old Charles Wesley hymn suggests, you can be changed from glory into glory, if you choose today to live in the new Genesis, in the new kingdom. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Abba Father, thank you so much for the reminder in this last Sunday of Kingdom Time as we pause and enter into Advent. That your son is coming again, Abba Father. He is our new king, he comes with his new kingdom, and he invites each one of us here today to be a part of this new kingdom. Thank you for the new genesis that in Christ is intended for each one of us. And So at this time, I just want to ask if there is anybody who out there sitting who would like to be a part of this new Genesis, who would be like to be a part of this new kingdom, but you know your life is far away from the Lord, you know your life is broken, you know your life is sinful, if you want to be a part of this new Genesis, can I ask you with no one looking around just to raise your hand where you are seated, I would like to pray for you. If there's anyone of you out there who is so broken, who you know your family life and family line is so broken, but you dare to believe there is a new genesis that God intends for you, and you want me to pray for you, just raise your hands quickly. Thank you. And you can put that down. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you so much. Is there anyone else that I can pray for? You're broken. You don't know what the future holds. Raymond didn't know what his future held. But he knew at some point, one day, that he needed a new genesis in his life so that he could start a new genealogy. Is there anyone else? You might be what that person today. Is there anyone else that I can pray for? Heavenly Father, thank you for each hand that has been put up. Lord, the hand is not put up for me. It is put up to receive your promises for them. Thank you that they want to be that new genesis because there was the greater new genesis in Christ that first came that enables them to start afresh, to begin anew. And so, Lord, I want to pray for them, for the courage that they have shown in putting up their hand, the commitment to you. Lord, I pray that the promises that you want to make to them, the future destiny that is theirs, you will see it all reach in fulfillment for them individually as well as for their families collectively. And for the rest, Lord, of us who are walking this journey in the new Genesis, grant us wisdom, grant us courage. Continue to show us your love and your mercy for the times that we will trip up. Thank you that there is forgiveness always in Jesus. Thank you that we are being changed, as the hymn has said, from glory into glory. We give you thanks. In Jesus' precious name we pray.